Well, my world has been shaken, and we're voting on Tuesday, and that hasn't, uh, I don't know, the world's a mess, isn't it? And the World Series just made it even messier. I just... <laughs> so I'm glad we had worship today to restore some sanity, and God is in control, not Harry Carey, anything like that. Okay, today I want to do something on memory. How good is your memory? And I need two volunteers, and they have to be adults, and they have to be at least 45 years old. So... Uh, Who would volunteer? Kevin Letterly and Myron, I think you would volunteer. Come on up. I think you would uh, do well at this. You're over 40, aren't you? No, no. Uh, Yeah. Get up here. You're also uh, not truthful. I need one of you on each side. And uh, don't look look at my notes. This is a contest, kind of like a family feud. Congratulations, Myron. Family feud without the feud. Okay, so I'm, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you the opening lines of a TV program. I needed someone older because some of these are old. You give me the name of the show, okay? So raise your hand and then I'll give you the microphone. Here we go. Look in the sky. It's a bird. It's a... It's Superman. It's Superman, yeah. Or underdog, I think. Good. Okay, there's one for you. Space. The Final Frontier. Star Trek. Very good. Do I have this on? Yeah. I'm hoping not. Very good. Okay, one to one. This one's a little tougher, I think. There is a fifth dimension beyond which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground. Twilight zone. Twilight zone, yes. Very good. Between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies beyond the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call... There we go. Uh, Okay. What is it, two to one? Yeah. Come on. We're not counting. Name, Richard Kimball. Profession, doctor of medicine. Destination, death row state prison. Richard Kimball has been tried and convicted for the murder of his wife. But laws are made by men. Fugitive, yeah, very good. Okay, you both flunked on that. Okay. Yeah, two, one, and one. In the criminal justice system, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups. Very good, thank you. You're a big help. You're winning. Okay. Congregation has two. Okay, here's a short one. Wheel of? Fortune. Very good. All right. And this is the last one. This is? Jeopardy. Jeopardy. All right. Give them a hand, you guys. (laughs) All right. Good memories. Well, good try. You know, if you totally lost your memory... What would you lose? Maybe you know someone who's totally lost their memory. You'd lose relationships. You'd lose skills. You'd really lose your identity, who you are. I mean, you would lose everything. Uh, I'm not even sure you could speak if you totally, absolutely lost your memory. Of course, we know when a nation forgets, it loses its identity. Veterans Day, which is coming up, I believe, on Friday. We remember those who served our country uh, our veterans or present military service, if you are one of these, would you stand right now? We want to recognize you with veterans coming up. Very good. Very good. Very good. 
All right. Thank you for serving. Remembering is a very important concept for a nation, for families, but especially in the Bible it is. And today's sermon is really an extended communion meditation because most of us know the Lord's Supper is about memory. Remember what Jesus has done for us. But I would contend it is more than just a memorial service. 1 Corinthians 11, he says, Paul says, In the following directives I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. Now, we've been in this series all fall in Corinth and all the problems they have. Here, they can't even get their worship right. In fact, there were actually three worship issues in Corinth. Women wearing head coverings in worship was a problem. Speaking in tongues was a problem. And the Lord's Supper was a problem. And the greatest problem was really the Lord's Supper. He says, I have no praise for your meetings. They do more harm than good. So worship can be destructive. Later in Corinth, they were, he talks about them being weak and sick, and some have died. This literally was a sick church. Now, I've never done a sermon on how worship can be hazardous to your health, but that's exactly what's happening here. Their worship was that bad, making them sick. Verse 18, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. So, so they had divisions and infighting. That made them sick. And when they took communion, Paul says, it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. See, taking communion is not necessarily communing. And apparently, you can do the Lord's Supper without doing the Lord's Supper. Verse 21, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Now, the Lord's Supper back then was in conjunction with a meal, kind of a fellowship dinner and Lord's Supper combined, like the Passover was a meal and a remembrance. And if Paul came and visited our church today and saw the way we do communion, I think he would say, that's weird. If we were like the New Testament church, we would meet here and have a meal with our worship time. And what was happening, the poor people had to work usually later than the rich, and so they wouldn't get there as early, and the rich would just go ahead and eat without them. We also have texts that tell us that the rich ate one kind of food, and the poor were eating a lesser kind. You know, one, they had ribeyes, and the poor would come in and have the beets or something like that. In a class-conscious society like Corinth, that was sociologically natural to be divided. But Jesus came to break down barriers, and the Corinthians were keeping those barriers up. Going on, verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What's Paul doing here? Takes him back to Jesus. You do this in remembrance of him, and you proclaim him and his death until he comes. See, the way to unity is a proper participation in the Lord's Supper, and a proper participation in the Lord's Supper is to get your focus back on Jesus. Uh, Paul does not give him heavy theology. He, he gives him Jesus. Who are you doing this for? Focus on him. Then verse 27, he says, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. 
Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have died, fallen asleep. Your worship is killing you. Their worship was lethal. Now, maybe he's talking about spiritual death. I don't know, but it's bad. One of the keys to approaching the Lord's Supper is realizing this is more than a memorial. Yes, it is a remembrance, but it's more. For 1,500 years, Christians have assumed the presence of Christ in these emblems that we're going to take. The presence of Christ is here in one form or another. Christ is here, and when we take them in an unworthy manner, we sin against Christ himself. Now, there's two extremes in this uh, presence of Christ. Roman Catholicism developed the doctrine of transubstantiation, where the bread and the wine literally turn into Christ's body and blood. Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. So literally, the bread and wine is transformed into Christ's flesh and blood. So the Roman Catholic position is the physical presence of Christ in communion. This is his body and his blood. Now, that'll give you a pretty high view of communion. Wow. The elements were considered so holy and so sacred that only the professional clergy could handle the elements and dispense them. The communion rail was introduced to separate the clergy from the laity to safeguard the holy of holies from defilement. And the words of consecration in Latin, hoc est enim corpus meum, I'm not good at Latin, but that's, this is my body. The words of consecration, when the, the elements become the bread, or the bread becomes the body, hoc est enum corpus meum, from which comes the phrase, hocus pocus. Hoc est enum corpus, hocus pocus. Because to the cynics, these emblems became his body and blood, is hocus pocus. The Protestant Reformation came along, and they went way the other extreme, many did anyway, the Lord's Supper is nothing more than a memorial, Christ is not present, there's nothing supernatural, mystic about the Lord's Supper. Now that's some Protestants. There's no presence of Christ in communion. It's just a memorial. So those are the extremes. And many Protestant churches like ours are on the memorial extreme. No Christ presence, just a memorial. Veterans Day. It's a time to remember men and women who served. But we don't necessarily have an encounter with them. We don't worship them. With Jesus' memorial, it's so much more than that. We, he is present. We do encounter him and worship him. And he is present, not physically, but he is here today in this act of communion. Back in chapter 10, verse 16, he says, It's not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ. And it's not the bread that we break, a participation in the body of Christ. Participation is an involvement. It's not just a memorial. Back in chapter 3, he says, Christ is present when we gather. In the early centuries of the church, they often mixed water and wine, partly for health reasons, but also that the water would symbolize the people... And the wine symbolized the Christ. And they mixed the water and wine to symbolize the, the, the union of Christ and His people in the Lord's Supper. How is Christ with us? How is He present in these emblems? We do know when we become a believer, God's Spirit enters into us. He lives in us and begins a reclamation project in our lives. God lives in your soul. But beyond that, how is Christ present in the Lord's Supper? I don't know. A lot of things we don't know. How does prayer work? I don't know, but it does. How does the Holy Spirit work? I don't know, but He's there and He works. How's baptism work? I, 
I don't know about that either. There, there are some things we don't know, but there are some things we do know. And for the rest of this, I want to talk about five of the most common questions concerning the Lord's Supper that people will have. And the first one is, why do you in the Christian church do it so often? That's the one thing people notice about us. You do communion an awfully lot. You do it every Sunday. And how come some churches only do it once a month or once a quarter? Frequency is not an issue in our text. Paul does not address that. He assumes that the Corinthians are participating at least regularly. And as far as we can tell, it was common for churches in early church history to do it every Sunday. We, it's pretty sure we, they did that for several centuries. Every Sunday. Over in Acts 2.42, at the very beginning of the church, there were four vital elements in the life of the early church. It says they were devoted to teaching, prayer, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. Well, no one today would say we, we, we shouldn't have teaching every Sunday, or we should limit prayer and just have prayer once a month, or fellowship. And so I would ask, why include those three but not the breaking of bread? Acts 20, verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. That's why they met on Sunday. And I believe the one reason the Lord's Supper is done less often now is it's lost its meaning and significance. And let me say this. I don't throw rocks at other churches when we do orientation to believers. Some churches do it once a month, some once a quarter. You know, that's, that's, a, that's their choice. And so they're still brothers and sisters. But I think we need to remember the Lord's Supper is more than just a memory of something that happened 2,000 years. In fact, if that's all it is, if it's just a memorial... I would agree, you shouldn't do it every Sunday. Memorial Day is only once a year. That's enough. Veterans Day, once a year. If it's just a memorial, don't do it so much. And some would argue that it does become less meaningful when we do it every Sunday. There is the danger of routine. Apparently, the early church did not see that danger. In fact, in Jerusalem, there's a good chance they did it daily right at first. And you never get the sense, oh, this is too often. Why do you do the Lord's Supper so much? You get the sense they couldn't do it enough. And for many Christians today, it is not routine doing it weekly. It is a time to be with Jesus, and it's not just a memorial. It is very meaningful. In fact, there's a survey done a few years ago of Christian pe young people on college campuses and asked, what do you want in worship? Experience God was number one. Number two, it needs to be genuine and real. And number three, believe it or not, Lord's Supper more frequently. If it's more than a memorial, and if Christ is present, and we're communing with Him, wouldn't you want to do that a lot? But wouldn't it be more meaningful if you did it less often? Well, you could say the same about preaching. Wouldn't church be more meaningful if we just had preaching once a month? Some of you might go for that. I, I get it. Wouldn't prayer be more meaningful if we did it less often? You know, if I just attend church on Easter and Christmas, that would make Christianity more meaningful, right? I don't think so. It becomes less meaningful. When we do it less, we've actually lowered the significance and reduced the value. If you hug your loved ones less often, especially if you're married, they won't say, oh, it's so much better when you hug me less. No, they'll wonder, what's wrong? What happened? You know, why don't you hug me more? So why do we do it every Sunday? Number one, Scripture points at it, at least hints at it. Number two, church history, practice it. And number three, it just makes sense. We want to encounter Jesus, and we want to do it often. Second question, what are we to do during this communion time? I see some people with bowed head and looking somber. What are they doing? I see others looking around, kind of bored and waiting for what's next. And I see some people on their phones. You know, what, what, are, they, what are we supposed to do? I was sitting in one church. wasn't here because I know this wouldn't happen here. Ha. 
couple was sitting behind me, and during communion, one said, I have a headache. A few seconds later, not many people here today. And then a few more uh, seconds went by. Is that a wig? I'm not sure who they're talking about, but I wanted to turn around and say, no. <laughs> I think I'm glad. I don't know everything that goes on Sunday morning. I think it could be really depressing. In fact, there's a book came out that really is depressing, 101 Things to Do During a Boring Sermon. And I have in my library, you may borrow it the next time Garrett preaches. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> but during communion, what do I do? Jesus said, you do this in remembrance of me. What's that mean? Remembering in the Bible is more than remembering. It's an important term with some different shades of meaning. For instance, it means to reflect, consider, or ponder. Think about what Jesus did for you. Think about it. When we remember those who died for us, like on Memorial Day, we're not just saying, well, don't forget what happened back then. We also contemplate the importance Contemplate the cost to these men and their families and reflect on how they impacted history. Stop and think, where would we be if they had not died? And even more, where would we be if Christ had not died? Think about it. Don't ever, ever, ever forget. Remember is also a form of worship. In Psalm 71, it says, I will proclaim your mighty acts, O Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness. Talk about proclaiming during worship. The word for proclaim is actually remember. I remember your mighty acts. I remember what you did for me. And in doing so, I honor you. I proclaim it. I sing about it. I am grateful. Communion is an act of worship. Remember also carries the idea of obedience. When God says, remember my commandments, he's not just talking about a mental not forgetting. He's talking about obeying. Remember my commands means keep my commands. And so the Lord's Supper is also a time of recommitment where we say, I obey you. I willingly turn my will over to you, Lord. I want to be your servant and use me. And of course, we know the big problem in Corinth was divisions in the church, the rich snubbing the poor, and he tells them they need to recognize the body of Christ. So another part of communion is to ponder my relationship to the church. When Paul says examine yourself, he's not talking about necessarily this introspection so much as examining your relationship with other believers. If there are divisions or people being snubbed, we drink judgment on ourselves. So a big part of communion is how's my relationship to Christ's body, the church? And a huge issue for us in America is American individualism. We don't connect with other believers like it'd be easier in other cultures. So the Lord's Supper is an interaction with Christ, a vertical relationship, but also it should have a horizontal dimension, interaction with the church, and ponder your relationship with his body, his church. Maybe you need to be a little more involved. Let me give some specifics to do during communion. You can read scripture. God speaking, you can just speak to him through prayer. That's what most people do. Pray for the church body. Pray for a relationship. In fact, I'd be okay with texting someone during communion to say we need to talk if there's a relationship that needs to be mended. Confess your sins and then remember, of course, what he's done for you. But the most important, whatever you do, do it with the understanding Christ is there with you. He is present. He, just think of him maybe sitting right next to you and you're communing with him. In the Middle Ages... There's stories of people running from church to church to church to get all the Lord's Supper they could because they wanted more of Jesus. Third, who may participate? 
I've been attending this church for three months, and I never know if I'm supposed to participate or not. Well, Paul here is addressing Christians, and throughout Scripture and history, only Christians participated in communion. In the first few centuries following the New Testament era, there was actually two parts of worship. The first part was the word part, where you had the preaching and the reading of Scripture, and everyone was welcome to come to that. But then they'd get to the second part, which is centered around the Lord's Supper, and they would dismiss non-believers so that only believers participated in the communion. Now, we don't do that here, uh, but the principle is that the meal, this meal is for Christians. However, we do not limit it to members only. We leave it open to all believers, no matter where your membership is. The basic question is, is Christ the Lord of your life or is he not? And if he is the Lord of your life, feel free to participate. Question number four, what does partaking do for the participant? How should it affect me? Historically, the Lord's Supper was the premier time when Christ was present with His people. This was the pinnacle place of Christ's presence. Nowhere else could you get so close to Him. If that is true, then the Lord's Supper should deepen your faith. You cannot help but to be strengthened without, with regular, proper participation. You will grow if you approach it rightfully. You'll have increased gratitude when you contemplate the cost of salvation You'll just sense this increasing indebtedness to God. It provides a time of cleansing. We recognize our sins and our shortcomings. It's a time for reacceptance of the blood of Christ as we see our need for forgiveness and renewal. I remember when I was a kid, I was like most kids, I was bored in church. But I always felt better afterwards. Kind of a newness. Something happened in my soul. Still does today. It should enhance your relationship to the church, realizing these are my brothers and sisters, realizing that there's a rift with my brother or sister, or if I'm, I've got walls between them, it needs to be mended. And if I'm not right with them, I'm really not right with Christ. It should strengthen our hope. This meal reminds us to look forward to when we will really commune with Jesus fully in the great banquet hall in heaven. Right now, we get a taste of Jesus, just a little snack. Someday, it's going to be a feast. Paul you take this and says, you take this until he comes. And it should reorient our mind and life. The Corinthians were worldly in their thinking. Very little of any of these things were happening when they were participated. And he says, it's not the Lord's Supper you're taking. But if you have the right approach, all these should happen to you to some degree. Which perhaps leads to the fifth question, why is it not meaningful to me? I don't feel closer to God. It's just a routine. I don't feel that newness you talk about. Let me say, first of all, that the basis of the Christian life is not feelings. And just because you feel far from God does not mean He is far from you. Sometimes when He feels far away is actually when He's the closest. That's why we live by faith and not feelings. Don't let feelings be the barometer of your walk with Christ. Just know my faith. He is here. But there are some barriers to a meaningful Lord's Supper, like lack of understanding. If you don't know what's going on or why you do it, or what you're supposed to think about, it won't be a great value. An improper attitude, if we see this as a ritual or a habit or a memorial only, there's not going to be much value. Some people see it like a religious pill that I take every week, you know, I fulfilled my duty. And our attitude should be, no, I am meeting with the Lord of the universe at His table, at His invitation, with His brother, His children, his, our brothers and sisters. That should be the attitude. And infrequency of observance is a barrier. There's a reason the early Christians did it often. People who are infrequent at the Lord's table are probably not comfortable at the Lord's table and not really benefiting from it. 
In the ancient church, in the Greek church, if someone neglected the Lord's Supper for three weeks, they were kicked out, excommunicated. If you don't think any more of meeting with Jesus than that, wow. One early church father, Eusebius, tells us that in the ancient church, Christians would willingly go to the rack before they'd give up the Lord's Supper. They'd be tortured before they'd give this up. They would die for these emblems. And there are people in the world today who would die in order to meet at this table. See, for them, they are eating with Jesus, encountering the Christ. And for too many of us, it's optional, it's an empty memorial, but it's so much more. I told this story several years ago, and some of you have heard it, but it just fits so well. Susan Herzog was 18 years old when she was killed on New Year's Day by Kevin Tunnell when he was driving drunk. Tunnell was convicted of manslaughter and drunk driving. Lewis and Patricia Herzog, Susan's parents, filed a $1.5 million suit against Tunnell, but they settled for $956. And they asked that the $956 be paid $1 a week for 18 years to remind Tunnell what he had done to their 18-year-old daughter. Each $1 payment was due on Friday, the day Susan died. Tinnell kept missing payments. The Herzogs kept taking him back to court to pay his $1 a week. Eventually, he was sentenced in Fairfax, Virginia County Circuit Court to 30 days in jail for contempt because he was not living up to the agreement and he was not making those weekly payments of $1. When asked why, Tinnell said that he was haunted by Susan Herzog's death and tormented by the payments which were a reminder of what he had done. And he offered the Herzogs boxes of checks, all made out for $1, all the payments covering all $936, they refused. They wanted him to remember every Friday their daughter's death and what he'd done. And God wants us to remember every Sunday his son's death and what he has done for us. What if he'd not died? Today we're going to commune with Jesus Christ. And we're going to pass the emblems and we want you to hold them. And hold them and as you're holding, you just ponder what these emblems represent. And what Christ has done for you. And we're going to take them together. I'll give you the cue on that. And we're going to take them together symbolizing that we are one body in Christ. The servers are going to pass the trays after I pray. We're going to sing while they're being passed. And so again, hold on to those emblems and I'll give more direction and we'll have receptacles for them at the end of the service. Let's pray. Lord, we come today to remember, but understanding this is so much more than a memorial. You are here. You are with us. And may we never ever forget what your son did for us on the cross. May we never, ever forget what this means and that you are here with us. You've promised that. In these emblems, you are here communing with us. Bless us as we partake. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.